Glad you're here this morning. And I hope you uh, get something out of this message because I, I don't know what God is doing with it. And uh, I, I don't know, I don't know where it's, we're going to go. <laughs> I mean, I've got notes. Uh, I'm a noted preacher. I always, always like to be prepared. But I don't, I don't know. I've had this thought in my mind all week. And it's just a small thought. But you know, when you start having a recurring thought, then you suspect that God's telling you something or he's leading you. And the Lord wants me today, I believe, to talk about the Apostle James. The Apostle James. You know, we hear a lot in the Bible about Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Well, James is the guy in the middle. He's always, he was always in the middle of that, of that trio of elite apostles. You know, there was the, you know, the outer circle, and then there was the inner circle, and then there was Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John were taken up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John were taken into the, the bedchambers of Jairus' dead daughter. Peter, James, and John were uh, 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 witnesses to some of the most intimate and most profound parts of the ministry of Jesus. And why Jesus picked those three, I don't know. And, uh, but I know that, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to share a little bit about James and about his relationship uh, with the other apostles and what have you. But he's not a figure in the Bible that we know a whole lot about. We know very little about his ministry. And we know how he died, but we don't know any of the real details of his death. We just know that Herod killed him with a sword. We know uh, that he was the brother of John. And, uh, and, uh, but, you know, our knowledge of this disciple, of this apostle, one of the inner circle, one of the, one of the chosen, is very limited, as is our knowledge of many of the others. There's a lot of tradition surrounding, you know, the apostles and uh, how they died, how they met their martyrdom and all of that. Some of it uh, is, is factual. Some of it is just conjecture and tradition and legend or myth. We don't know because things were not all written down and preserved. But we know from the book of Acts a lot about this disciple. And I think one of the reasons the Lord wants me to talk about him today is because some of you can identify. And so God is using James to speak to you. James was a pretty rough character when he first came to Jesus, and yet Jesus molded him and shaped him and, and, and fashioned him and used him, and, and, uh, and he became one of the central figures, really, of the Gospels and the book of Acts. So let's look at, at uh, our, first, uh, our first introduction to James. And by the way, his name wasn't James. His name was Jacob. His name was Jacob. He wasn't called James until King James Bible translators 
decided they needed to name at least one of the apostles after King James. And so uh, they take Jacob and, they, and they, they changed it to James. And so now James is supposed to be, uh, you know, uh, derived from Jacob. And if you look in an, in an English dictionary, you'll see some reference to that. But actually, they were just being politically correct. And they, were, and they feared the king, and they wanted to make some points with King James. And so they named one of Jesus' apostles after the king of England. But his name was Jacob. His name was Jacob. So uh, as we read this, you know, I'm reading out of the King James Bible, so it's going to say James. But when I, when I say James, you can think Jacob. His name is Jacob. So in Luke 5, beginning with verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon Jesus to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's. Now, Simon was Simon Peter. And he prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. Well, that's because he told them to let down the nets. And they let down one net, and so their net broke. It's important to pay attention to the details. And to listen carefully and do what he said to the T. Well, they beckoned to their partners, which were in the other ship. Everybody say other ship. That they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. That's a catch. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, for henceforth thou shalt catch men, and when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now the sons of Zebedee, Zebedee was one of a prominent fisherman from a family of generations of fishermen. And Zebedee was uh, a, a prominent fisherman in Capernaum, and he had a fleet of fishing boats, and he raised both of his sons... James and John, to be fishermen. And he was a partner with a, a man named Jonah. 
And Jonah had two sons, Andrew and Peter. That's when, when Jesus called him Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar means son of. Simon, son of Jonah, and changed his name to Peter. Y'all remember that? Well, Jonah and Zebedee were business partners. And so their sons, each of them had these two sons, and their sons worked in the family business. And they were, they were uh, prosperous fishermen. They lived in the finest houses in Capernaum. Zebedee, the father of James and John, was a personal close friend of the high priest Caiaphas and made frequent trips to Caiaphas' house. They were buddies. They partied together. Yeah. And when uh, James and John took off after Jesus, Zebedee did not follow, and he did not participate, and we don't hear much about him anymore in the Bible. And there is some speculation that one reason Jesus told his disciples that they need to leave father and mother and follow him was because James and John were having, they were concerned about leaving Zebedee. And Zebedee wasn't willing to give them up. I don't care what the little TV series Chosen might say to you. That TV series is biblically incorrect on many levels. So don't watch The Chosen for any other purpose other than entertainment because it's not biblical. There's a whole lot of stuff they've written into it that, you know, it's not, it's not true. Zebedee, being a good friend of Caiaphas, did not want to jeopardize his relationship with the, the ruling people in that, in that time. And so he did not follow Jesus. There's no indication in the Scripture that he ever followed Jesus. But his two sons did. And, uh, and so uh, uh, Zebedee's wife was a woman by the name of Salome. And Salome was the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus, which makes James and John the cousins of Jesus. Did you know that? And Salome followed Jesus. She became one of the main supporters of Jesus. She would take some of Zebedee's money, and she would, she would buy food for the disciples. And she was there uh, uh, with Mary at the cross. And she was also one of the Marys that, because that, uh, her name was Mary Salome, and, and she was one of the ladies that went to, the, went to the grave after Jesus was buried to anoint his body. And so she was very prominent and very much a follower of Jesus and very much a supporter of her two boys being in the ministry with Jesus. If you'll remember, she went to Jesus one day and said, Lord, you know, we, you know, when you come into your kingdom, uh, we want you, uh, I want you to put James and John in authority, one at your right hand, one at your left hand. And, uh, and there was no doubt in her mind that Jesus was going to come into his kingdom. She was a true believer. She was a true believer. She just didn't understand the politics of the kingdom of Jesus. And so she got her son, you know, but I think her sons put it up to it. Matter of fact, Mark actually puts it that way. But uh, so we know that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, 
were partners with uh, Andrew and Peter. And in this incident that I just read to you, uh, Jesus blessed that whole partnership with more fish than they could possibly handle in their ships. And their ships almost sank. Well, there's enough, you know, see, you know, they're, they're, these, are, these are Jewish boys, and Jewish boys don't waste. And so they, you know they took those fish and sold those fish for a lot of money. So it was the best day in the business history of that fishing business on record. And they didn't leave there with, by her, and, and hurt their father and, and his business by, by leaving. They left him well cared for. Amen? Amen? They did not dishonor their father when they left because uh, they left him a very rich man. Okay? And so we, we see in Mark chapter 1, his call, the call of James to follow Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verse 19, it says, When he had gone a little further thence, <clears throat> talking about Jesus, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. These were hardworking men. These were dutiful men. These were men that did not uh, slack. They understood that if their nets uh, weren't mended, they wouldn't catch any more fish with them. And so they were doing the job. They didn't hire people to mend their nets. They tended that very personally because of the importance of the nets being done right. And, and so the, the, these, are, these are very responsible young men. <clears throat> and, he, and he saw them there mending their nets. And verse 20 says, And straightway he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after Jesus. It says, Straightway he called them and they left immediately to follow Jesus. His call to follow Jesus was responded to immediately. There was no hesitation. You see, James and John had witnessed enough about Jesus to know that they could follow him without reservation. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you need to trust Jesus with your whole heart, your whole being, and without hesitation be willing to leave everything and follow him. Amen. You got to be all in. And I mean, it, they didn't say, well, give us a week or two to think about it. We need to talk it over. No, they just, they dropped everything. Their daddy, their daddy and the hired servants were still in the boat, and they walked away and went with Jesus full time. And so, uh, you know, <laughs> to me, that's impressive. Most people, you know, are so concerned about self-preservation and, and, uh, and, and how things are going to affect me and what am I going to do. They want to know all the details. They want to, Jesus said, follow me. They want to know where, how long we're going to be there, what we're we going to do when we get there, what's it going to cost me. Amen. But these men, they, they, they didn't ask any questions. They just followed Jesus. Are you following Jesus without reservation? Are you following Jesus without questions? Are you following Jesus no matter what? 
Amen. And well, we also know that uh, uh, something about James and John's temperament. We find out in, uh, in Mark chapter 3 that Jesus actually changed their names. He was, he was, Jesus was pretty uh, uh, good at giving people new names. Papa Dorn, when he got to heaven, he got a new name. The Revelation says there's a white stone. There's a white stone given. And on that white stone is a new name known only to God. And when you overcome and you make it to heaven, you're given that white stone with a new name on it. Amen. So Papa Dorn, not only did he get a new body, not only did he get a new life, but he got a new name. Jesus loves to rename people. And he, he renamed Peter. He, he said, Simon Bar-Jonas, you know, you are now, you are now called Peter, the little, the, little, the little chip off the block, the small stone. And uh, he, 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 named him, he named him a rock because he wanted him to be a rock. Well, he, he changed the name of, of James and John. Look, look in Mark chapter 3, verse 17. And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, he surnamed them Boanerges, B-O-A-N-E-R-G-E-S, which is the sons of thunder. Now, Zebedee wasn't thunder. He was Zebedee. They were the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus called them the sons of thunder. And that tells you a whole lot about their personalities and about their uh, temperament. They were very, very strong-minded, strong-opinioned, loud uh, people. You know, they, they, when, they, when they spoke, they thundered. In other words, they weren't quiet. Thunder is not quiet. Amen? When you hear thunder, it, 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 you can hear it from miles and miles and miles and miles away. Well, these guys were very, very, they were very loud like that. They were very boisterous. Jesus just called, you know, sons of thunder. He, he called them the way he saw them. Then in Luke chapter 9, in verse 51, it says, It came to pass when the time was come, that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. You know, you see, he's, passing, he's, he's traveling across the country, and he needed to go through a village in Samaria to where he would spend the night and get refreshed and get food and all that, and then he'd go on to Jerusalem. Well, they found out that he... Uh, was going to Jerusalem to worship at the temple, and they got offended at him because he wasn't going to worship at their mountain. Amen. And so they, they were religiously offended at Jesus, and so they, they wouldn't receive him. They met his disciples at the gate of the city and said, no, you're not coming here. And uh, uh, some people think they got rather loud and violent about it, and threatened him, and uh, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem, and so when his disciples James and John, the sons of thunder, all the other disciples were there, but here's the sons of thunder, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, 
Wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? Lord, burn them up. But he turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit ye are of, for the Son of Man is, come, is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they just went on to another village. But you see, these, these guys, this little glimpse into James and John's persona reveals that they, they were not only uh, thunderous and loud and, you know, but they were, you know, they had a lot of prejudice. They had a lot of bias and they were, they were willing to kill a village of Samaritans. <laughs> That's the wrong spirit. Have you, ever, have you ever served the Lord with the wrong spirit? Well, Jesus rebuked them, but he didn't fire them, did he? He rebuked, and it went down in their permanent record. It became a, a blotch on their permanent record. We have it right here in the, you know, we have it right here in the scriptures. You know, what are, the, what, what are James and John, the sons of thunder, known for? Getting rebuked by Jesus for wanting to call fire down on a village. Imagine if it was, you know, Vietnam. And some soldiers went into a Vietnamese village, and uh, you know they 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 saw they saw some of the signs of the Viet Cong being there, the enemy being there, and somebody pulls out his his gun and says, "Let's just kill them all. Let's just kill them all." Well, that guy would be jerked up, hogtied, and sent back to the base for court martial, right? Because he's the wrong spirit. By the way, that happened. It's happened many times in warfare where whole villages are wiped out because people were just angry at the enemy. That's not the right spirit. <laughs> Amen. These guys, these guys had a little work to do, didn't they? And Jesus is molding them and, and, and fashioning them, but he's doing it very lovingly and very kindly because he's developing his apostles. These are the guys he's going to leave the ministry to. And at this point, he probably thought, mm, they're not ready. Can't leave the ministry to people that are going to beat up on people. You know, I, I, I've seen preachers in the pulpit that were just mean-spirited. And they just beat up on people. I've been, I've been in some services where... I, I wanted to crawl under the pew. I, I was so embarrassed and ashamed because of the way somebody was work, was acting. And maybe they'd pick somebody out in the congregation and just ream them out. It's not the right spirit. It doesn't mean the preacher is a bad person. It doesn't mean the preacher is going to hell. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean he's not called to the ministry. It just means God's got work to do. And I thank God for the churches that were patient with me when I was getting started. I look back on those years, you know, when I was a 21-year-old pastor. God bless those people, you know. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying I beat up on people. I tried to love on the people, but I, I know I said things that hurt them. 
I know I know I I said things that I shouldn't have said. And uh, and I've done it since then. I may do it again, but don't fire me. No, no more than you would fire James the apostle. Amen. Because Jesus, Jesus is the one who calls us. Jesus is the one who justifies us. Jesus is the one who makes us. And we've got to be patient with Jesus. He knows the process. He knows what he's doing. And he's making all of us. Amen. So we, we tolerate one another and we bear one another's burdens and we, uh, we forgive one another's failings. Amen. Because he forgives us. Can you say amen? Well, we, all, we know also James was a very ambitious man. Turn to Mark chapter 10. Him and his brother John. Now, John was the youngest of all the, of all the uh, apostles, of all the disciples. He was, he was, some people believe he was a teenager at the time. And uh, James was his older brother. And so a lot of the things that, that we see happening with James and John, I think John was... Um, caught up in it because of his brother. Because later on, we see John as the loving disciple. We see John as the beloved. We see John. Uh, we see John in a different light. Of course, he grew up. And he became a man, and he became, you know, uh, probably one of the uh, one of the most influential of, of the apostles. He outlived all of the others. Lived well into uh, beyond a hundred years of age. And so, you know, in that length of time, you're going to change, and you're going to mature, and you're going to get better, amen? amen. And so we see, James, we see John doing things with James, his brother, that I think, you know, knowing, you know, I had an older brother, and I remember all the times he got me into trouble. All I wanted to do was tag along and be with him, and so I'd tag along and be with him, and I'd get, I'd get in, in all kinds of trouble. Because he was trouble. Now he's saved. Now he's a born again man. He's an ordained minister today, but uh, but back in the back in the day when we were young, he was trouble, and he got me into it because I just wanted to, I just wanted to tag along. So I'm not I'm not focusing on John here. I'm focusing on James, or Jacob. In Mark chapter ten verse thirty five it says, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him saying. Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. That's pretty bold. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, I think he's, I think he's grinning when he says, Well, what is it you boys want? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, You know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. Have you ever spoken to the Lord and you really didn't know what you were talking about? Have you ever volunteered for something and you had no idea what it was going to cost you? Well, these boys are no different than us. And you're no different than them. Vying for position. 
I think it's I think it's kind of funny because, you know, Papa Dorn was such a uh, he was such a an apostle, such a a leader, and such a dynamic individual. Well, now that he's gone, there's talk about who's going to wear his mantle or who's going to be the next papa or who's, you know, and you can just see people just naturally, they're, they're always naturally vying for position. Well, you know, I don't want to be Papa Dorn. I never wanted to be Papa Dorn. I'm, I'm, I'm content to be who I am. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't want a mantle that wasn't meant for me. I don't want a, any, any positions. I'm not after any promotions. But there was a time in my life where I would think about things like that. There was a time in my life where people would, I'd hear people talking, well, he's going to be the, he's going to be the next district superintendent, or he's going to be the next presbyter, or, you know, he would make a great youth uh, uh, department leader, you know, or he would, you know, and, and I, I would, I would hear those rumors, and of course, you know, I would say, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm, you know, but in my heart, I was I would begin to dream, you know, you know, is that possible? You know, could 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 God promote me like that? I've had people take me off to the side and say, you know, you're the next I think you're going to be the next general overseer for Kingsway Fellowship International. And in my in my mind, I would think I don't want that. Cuz I know I know what the general overseer of Kingsway Fellowship International has to do what he has to put up with and I know he didn't get a, he doesn't get a salary and so everybody that takes that position has to finance their own ministry it's like being a missionary and the people who have held that position were people who had businesses and they either sold their business and had to finance their ministry or they kept the business and the business continues to, and that's the way it is right now with brother Ken Browning he's got a business that finances his life so that he can be he can be the leader of Kingsway for free. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm not well healed. I don't have that financial base. I'm not qualified. Just financially, I'm not qualified. And then you talk about all the stuff they have to put up with. I'm, I've been there and done that. I'm not interested in politics. Been there, done that. I'm done with it. Finished. Amen. I'm just, I just want to preach the gospel. Really, all I want to do is preach the gospel. All I want to do is teach people and preach and, and help people, counsel with people, and, and build people. That's all, I, that's all I'm interested in for the rest of my life. I'm not interested in any more titles or positions or such thing. But young men are ambitious. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, you know, you need to be a visionary. You don't go anywhere if, you don't ha if you're not a visionary. But these men were bold. They dared to ask Jesus to be on the right and the left. Well, by the way, it got them in trouble with the other disciples. When the other disciples found out, they were ticked off. So it, all it did was gender strife among the disciples. Now, listen to what Jesus said. He said, he said, uh, they said, we can drink from that cup. And Jesus said unto them, you shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. See, they bit off more than they realized. And with the baptism that I'm baptized with, shall you be baptized? 
but to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. Now notice, he didn't say there's not going to be someone on my right hand, there's not going to be someone on my left hand. But that, those positions are going to be granted by the Father. It's not mine to give. Somebody is going to sit at his right hand and his left hand in his glory. Wonder who that's going to be. Probably someone whose name you have never heard. Amen? So forget about it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not really open for debate, is it? And so we just forget about it. And, and when the ten, he said, when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them unto him and said unto them, You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus really is rebuking these guys for their, their, their misplaced ambition. See, your ambition should be to elevate the people around you. Your ambition should be to build up the people that are in your life, not to build yourself up or to promote yourself. And if God gives you any kind of a ministry, that ministry is, uh, the word minister means to serve. You're a servant of the Lord. And he who is the least among us is the greatest of us all. So Jesus is teaching humility here, but he, he's not, he didn't fire James and John. He didn't kick them out of the band. He rebuked them, and then he used it as an as a object lesson, and he kept on building in them the traits that were required for a true disciple. Amen? Amen? Don't you love the patience of Jesus? Yeah. And he's being patient with you. He knows... Your idiosyncrasies. He knows your personality traits. And he made you. And so he, he will continue to make you. And he'll mold you into that person he wants you to be. Amen? Praise God. Well, let's talk about the ministry of James. You know, from the time Jesus called James, from the time James was called to the time he was killed was only 17 years. Three of those years he was in Bible school. So he was actually in ministry less than 14 years. His ministry didn't last as long as Papa Dorn's. Papa Dorn uh, was in the preaching ministry over 70 years. Went to over 60 different nations of the world. Pastored churches for 40 of those 70 years. And then was full time for 30, you know, after that. And then even when he couldn't go anymore, he's sending out those videos all over the world. And he was prolific. He lived to be 93. Well, James didn't have that long to live. He only, he was on, his ministry, uh, you know, after Jesus left was only 14 years. 
And you know we know hardly anything about it. We, we know hardly anything about it. We don't know what he accomplished. We do know that he was a prominent leader in the Jerusalem church. We do know that. And that he was very outspoken. We know that. And we know that, that, uh, that he, stood, he stood up for what's right. He was with the other disciples when they were persecuted. And he didn't back down. How do I know that? I know that because Herod focused his attention on James first. James was the voice that Herod felt like he needed to silence. That tells you a whole lot about James. James would not be quiet. James would not shut up. James was very outspoken and thunderous. Some historians believe that, that one reason Jesus called them the sons of thunder is because they had big voices. They, they had voices that would carry. And when they spoke, you know, even in whispers, people could hear them. And, of course, then Herod, he found out, he heard about, or maybe he heard directly the things that James was saying. And so he singled him out, him and Peter, and he had them arrested. And then what we know about his death is very little. Here's what the Bible says about his death, Acts 12 and verse 1. Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. We know that James was one of the leaders of the church. Because when you want to vex a church, you go after its leader. Verse 2 says, And he killed James, the brother of John, with sword. Now, we don't know any of the story around that. We can project, conject, guess. It doesn't sound like he was beheaded said he was killed with the sword. And it sounds to me like, you know, Herod just walks in, pulls a sword, and stabs him with it. He was killed. He, he, he was just immediately dispensed with. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Now, we know the story in, in the, about Peter, and that's the, a very celebrated story about Peter who they threw him in prison and chained him between two guards. And in the middle of the night, the church is having a prayer meeting because they've already lost James. So the church is grieving James, and they're scared to death they're going to lose Peter. So this was no namby-pamby, mild little prayer meeting. This was, this was a roof-raising prayer meeting. And they prayed all night long. And in, in around midnight, an angel walks into that prison and just releases the chains off of Peter. The guards are sound asleep. They never even wake up. By the way, they were put to death by, because they let their prisoner go. And then the Peter, Peter, you know, he thinks he's dreaming. And the angel leads him outside he gets outside, and the fresh air hits him, and he realizes he's free, so he goes 
to the house where the prayer meeting is taking place and knocks on the door. And this little girl named Rhoda comes to the door, looks out and goes, Aah! it's a ghost. So they were really praying in faith. So she runs in and tells people she saw Peter's ghost. They go to the door, and it's Peter in, in, in the flesh. And they bring him in, and they rejoice. And so Peter survives, but James is lost. And that ended the, the earthly ministry and life of the apostle James. Only after just a few years. And yet he went down in history as one of the inner circle of Jesus. And he had a profound influence, and he had the honor of being the first martyr among the apostles. So he's a hero. His blood was the first apostolic blood to be shed. And we remember him for that. And we thank God for his life. Now you say, well, what's that got to do with me? doesn't matter how much time you have left. And I know who I'm talking to. I'm talking, I'm talking to a man back there who's turning 80 tomorrow. Some of you have been 80 for a while. Some of you are approaching it. I'll be there in eight more years. And we know... You know, Brother A.J. and I, we were talking about the sands of time. How, they, how we were watching the old hourglass, and we only got a few grains left, and they're going through there too fast. Some way we could slow it down, but we can't. We realize time is short. We don't have much left. I know in, within the next 10 years or so, you know, we're going to have a lot of funerals at Cornerstone Church. Not funerals, celebrations of life, because it really never ends. This is just the this is just the green room before we go on stage. This is just the the ante room. We're, this is training ground. But I, you know, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Look around. Most of us don't have a whole lot of time left. I don't know if we've got. If you've got, or I've got, five years, or ten years, or fifteen. You know, I had a seven-year-old nephew die in a car wreck a couple years ago. So age is really not the determining factor. No one really knows how much time they've got. And we've talked about you got to be ready for it. But not only do you need to be ready for it, you need to realize that God can use you in the time you've got left. It's not how you started, it's how you finish. And I want to finish the race, and I hope you do too. I want to finish the race trusting God to smooth out my rough edges and forgive all of my stupid decisions, and, and, uh, and just forget the past. 
bury the past under the blood of Jesus. Just, just bury it there and step out of that boat of your family tradition and follow Jesus. Amen? And let Jesus rebuke you. Because the Bible says he rebukes the ones he loves. Let him chasten you. That's what it means to rebuke, to correct. Let, let him shape you as quickly as he can so that we can spend what time we have left living it for Jesus. Because nothing else is going to matter in the hereafter. You can affect a nation in just a matter of days. You can change somebody's world in a moment. With a hug, with a smile, with a word, with a, a little scripture, with a track. There's so many ways to impact the world. You don't have to be obstinate. You don't have to be a clerical, weird guy with his collar turned backwards. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to, you don't have, to have a title. James or Jacob, the son of Zebedee, became the, James, the follower of Jesus. And he gave his life and shed his blood, gladly, without whimpering, without backing down. And his name is listed in the historical record, and it'll always be there. We're going to meet that man one of these days. We're going to meet James in heaven. <laughs> so whether you live to be 93 like Papa Dorn, or you live to be whatever James was, which was young, let the rest of your life count for Jesus. Amen? And if you die hard, die fighting. Amen. Praise God. Bow your heads with me, and I just want to give you an opportunity to speak to the Lord and have the Lord speak to you. And Let's just sit here for a minute. And God's going God's to talk to you about some things. I know he wanted me to preach this message, and this is a little different than I normally. I don't usually talk about people like that. And it's not my style. But for some reason, and I believe it's, I believe it's because there's a James or two out here. <laughs> I may be preaching this message just for one person. And that might be you. I know it can apply to all of us, but, you know, sometimes God just singles out somebody. The preacher doesn't dare do that. But sometimes the Holy Spirit does that. He singles out a person, and he, he speaks to their heart, starts dealing with them. I just want to ask you, are you all in? Are you all in? Have you surrendered all? You know that song we sing, I Surrender? I mean, the Baptist made that song famous. I surrender all, all to Jesus. I surrender all to him I freely give. They don't need to be just words. It needs to be your lifestyle. Are you living a life of complete surrender? 
Don't hang on to your old shipping boat and your old nets. And don't go back to them. Keep looking forward. Don't relive your past mistakes. And don't cry over spilt milk and the sins of your past. They're under the blood. And listen, God's not going to punish you for it because it's forgiven. And you need to stop punishing yourself for it. It's not your problem anymore. Your past is not your problem anymore because you gave it to Jesus. He didn't call theologians and expert preachers and, and orators. He called fishermen and tax collectors <laughs> and political zealots. And, I mean, he calls them weirdos. You say, well, that's me. I'm a weirdo. All right, you're qualified. But give yourself wholly and completely to the Lord and do it now. Amen. Can you say with me, I surrender? Lord Jesus, I surrender all. All to you I freely give. Now take me. Make me. And use me for your glory. Amen. Amen. We're going to serve you the communion elements. We're going to take communion together this morning, and then we'll be, we'll be on our way. But I hope you're different when you leave. Hope you're different when you leave. Just think about, you see, I was driving in the car, and I was thinking about, I don't know, totally something different. And I heard Peter, James, and John. I heard that in my spirit. Peter, James, and John. I wasn't even thinking about Peter, James, and John. And I said, Lord, what? And he said, focus on James. Look at James. So I've been looking at James. I've been thinking about James all week. And so, you know, I began to do this research and looking up some facts about, I didn't know these things. I didn't know that Salome was the sister of Mary. I didn't know that James and John were cousins to Jesus. I thought the only cousin Jesus had was John the Baptist. A lot of things I didn't know. You say, Pastor, where did you get that? I got it out of all the apostles of the Bible. That's a book. All the apostles of the Bible. And so, if they're wrong, and I'm wrong. I apologize. But, you know, <laughs> sometimes you research in places that, you know, you, you, it could be wrong. If I'm wrong, I apologize. But if I'm right, hey, we learned something. Amen? There are things about you that I don't know. And if I, were to, if I were to, you know, sit down and describe you and describe your life, I would probably get it wrong. Because I don't know you like Jesus knows you. But I want to tell you something. Jesus knows you very well. And he still called you. He still appointed you. He still wants to anoint you. After all, he knows, he knows everything, and he still wants to use you. Amen? That's the power of his blood. That's the power of 
his sacrifice. The Bible says that he, he not only calls us, but he justifies us. That means he qualifies us to do whatever it is. Say, well, I'm not qualified. Well, no one is. But he's the qualifier. Amen? But you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. God does. And it doesn't stop him. You see, God's never, he's never going to call a point and choose the person you think is most qualified. That's why churches shouldn't uh, pick their pastors by having a beauty contest. I've seen churches get them a nice, handsome, suave, eloquent preacher, and he turned out to be a crook when they should have picked that homely-looking guy like me. Pick some fat, ugly, red-headed guy. You'd be better off than getting that dark, tall, and handsome fellow. Now, I'm not picking on people that are handsome and good-looking, but God sees the heart. And He's looking at your heart. And you know why? He don't care about how old you are. Amen? So take the bread and say, Lord, this bread qualifies me to be your servant. I eat it in faith. And then take that blood and say, Lord, this blood takes care of my past. <laughs> it washes my sins away. But it also secures my future. This blood makes me worthy to follow you. And I drink it as my commitment to you. In Jesus' name, let's drink it. Chris Brochu was a, our house guest for a couple of nights this week. He's on his way to Africa. Well, he's probably in Africa now. But he was getting ready to leave our house. He said, would it be all right with you if we had communion before I left? So Ruth jumps up, goes and grabs her shot glasses that we use for communion. pulls some grape juice out of the refrigerator we pour it takes a couple of Ritz crackers and breaks them and we just stand there in the middle of our living room and we partake of that communion and we come into unity with the Father but also we're in unity with Chris and we're committed to praying for him and Maxine in Africa and yesterday, as we were leaving Papa Dorn's celebration, I run into Chris out in the, in the lobby. He's on his way to the airport to fly to Uganda. And I said, Brother Chris, we're praying for you. I said, we're united in this. And I said, I'll see you in Africa. You know, because in four weeks, Ruth and I are going to meet him in Africa but I so appreciated that moment of communion because it brings us into union 
not only with God, but with each other. And I want you to know, whatever it is God calls you to do, I've got your back. I'm for you. I'm not against you. If you come to me saying, I, I, God, I feel like God wants me to do such and such, I'm not going to talk you out of it. Ask Annetta, Tory, Ann Wood, Ann Brown. Ask her. 25 years ago, she came and said, God's called me to China, and no one will support me. No one, no one says I'm qualified. twice divorced grandma in her 50s no Bible school no ordination just a hospital administrator RN and she feels called of God to go to China and start a clinic and use that clinic to win souls I said I'm with you I'm behind you we laid hands on her we sent her out with our blessing and we supported her all these years she's now in the Philippines God sent her a husband, 77 years old, and God sent her a husband. <laughs> They're going to be here next month, and you're going to get to meet John Brown and the new Ann Brown. Amen? But, um, but I supported her, and I don't regret it. And I'll do the same for you. God calls you to do something here or out of here I've got your back because I believe in you and we have sent many people over the years we've sent many people out to minister you know, on the mission field in other cities and other states even across town in other churches when God calls we send amen we're a sending church that's why we're that's one of the reasons we're no bigger than we are. Our members are everywhere. Everywhere. And they're serving God where they are. And so thank God. I'm glad you're still here because you know you, you're keeping the lights on, giving me somebody to preach to. But I want you to know you've got time left, so use it wisely. Amen. Praise God. Stand up with me. Turn to somebody and say, you, I've got your back, buddy. I've got your back, buddy. <laughs> Amen. You're, you're free to go. Oh, yeah, Ruth has got an announcement.